Welcome to the Journeys of Scientists podcast. This is a podcast put out by WAMPS, which stands for Women and Minorities in the Physical Sciences. We are a graduate student organization at Michigan State University. I am Brian Stanley. I am a graduate student in the physics department at MSU. The purpose of this podcast is to talk with other graduate students at MSU and other universities to get a sense of the type of research they do, but also learn about life as a graduate student, both within and outside the classroom or research lab. If you or someone else you know are interested in participating in the Journeys of Scientists podcast, you can email me at the email below in the show notes, or you can visit the WAMPS website, which is wamps.org, and you can send us a message there. On this episode, we are joined by Jane Kim, who is a fourth-year PhD student studying nuclear mini-body problems and ways machine learning can improve existing computational methods. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Jane. Could you briefly introduce yourself? What is the type of physics that you study? Yeah, sure. Uh, My name is Jane Kim. I'm a fourth-year PhD student at Michigan State University, and I study nuclear many-body theory and ways machine learning can be used to improve our computational methods. So because of that, I'm in the CMSE department and the physics department. Okay. And what does like many-bodies mean, like in this case? Um, okay, so many body can be anything that's like about three or four particles or more, which seems like a very small number. But you know, if you're dealing with one particle, that's pretty much all of undergraduate quantum mechanics. You know, you're dealing with mm-hmm. just one particle, and you study it really, really hard. Then there's two particles, so scattering problems. And then when you get into three or more, it becomes very complicated. So um chaos happens and we end up having a really difficult time modeling three or more particles, especially if we're dealing with very, very tiny particles that obey quantum mechanics. So because of that, we just try to find a lot of approximations to our calculations so that we can try and bypass how much memory and how much time we need for computation. Okay. Is there like a particular context or like space that you're like looking at these in? Um, So I I study nuclear many body theory. So the end goal is then to model a nucleus. So a bunch of protons and neutrons, but I'm not there yet. So right now I have things working for bosons, um, but protons and neutrons, they're fermions. So I don't have that yet, but hopefully by the end of the year, I will have some working code for that. From from the little that I've taken of StatMac, I always felt like fermions, you know, made things difficult, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, they definitely do. And especially with the methods that I'm looking at, I kind of find ground state energies based on the ground state wave function. And because of that, and because fermions uh, flip the sign of the wave function when you switch the labeling of the uh, mm-hmm. particles, that causes a huge amount of computational issues because of that flipping sign. Yeah. Okay. So what got you interested in like this 
this area? Um, well, I didn't know much about many body physics until I met my current research advisor. So I should mention, I actually did my undergrad at MSU as well. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So I met my current research advisor in my senior year at MSU. And I took his computational physics class. I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, in our downtime, we talked about his research interests. And so from him, I learned about many body physics and computational methods. Um, I also learned about machine learning and quantum computing, things like that. So because he's introduced me to so many cool topics that I'm also interested in, I decided to stay here and work with him. Okay, very cool. And then all of your stuff must be like pretty theoretical if you're doing like machine learning stuff. Yeah, I guess pretty theoretical. Uh, just a lot of coding, I guess. Mm -hmm. so, is it is it like, oh, I am trying to figure out a more exact way to find this behavior or are you doing like a lot of simulation type work or... Um, maybe you could say it's a little bit of both. In ways, I'm simulating uh, a system of particles. So I'm kind of sampling where these particles may live. And hopefully that's like a pretty good approximation for where they actually live. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of computation and trying to find different ways of approximating the wave function using a neural network. So there is some math involved, but once that it's over and you code it up, you try and get something useful out of it. Okay. Something I always struggled with, with like the quantum, mm -hmm. you know, sort of things is this like, oh, there's such small things. I can't visualize like what's happening. Like when you first learn physics, like I can imagine a ball yes. going down, but like, <laughs> have you kind of like gotten of like, I can picture what happened or is it still like, uh, things are just equations and letters to me. I'm totally, totally with you. I'm the same way. I really like to visualize things. I feel like that's the way that you can get a lot of intuition out of it. So into my code, I've kind of baked in uh, certain time steps. I will print out a like histogram of all my samples. So that's a, a way that I can look at the wave function in one to three dimensions that I can actually visualize. Um, but of course, the, you know, the wave function actually lives in a much, much higher dimensional space. So really, it's a, a projection of the wave function onto a smaller space. But it helps because I can tell whether my code is going wrong or yeah. right if <laughs> my projection looks um, like what I expect. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's good because at least for me and like that type of stuff, I always thought... I don't know. I don't know. I, you just get lines for, for a plot or something I'm like, okay, I got that squiggly line versus this squiggly line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to tell which squiggly line is right. Especially, you know, in these situations where we don't know a lot about the system that we're studying, we don't know what the ground state wave function looks like. It can be really hard to tell whether we're going in the right direction or not. So like right now for the testing stages, I'm using an exactly solvable model and that will tell me exactly whether um, like I have like a 99% overlap with the true ground state wave function or something like that. So that's really nice working with exactly solvable models now. Um, hopefully in a year or so, I'll have a more realistic case for an actual nucleus, but 
you know, baby steps. Mm-hmm. So like how big is the group that you're in? Like, do you work primarily alone and meet with your advisor? Are there like other people in your group camp working together? Well, um, I work in like a mini body group that's about, you know, it's a handful of people um, under Morton, my research advisor. Um, but we kind of work in a slightly larger group with another professor, Scott Wagner. And he, t- together with Morton, are kind of formed this uh, slightly bigger mini body group. And there's like levels above that. There's other professors who also work on adjacent things. So sometimes we all meet up together. But uh, for this particular project I'm working on, it's pretty much all by myself. And, you know, I have these weekly slash biweekly meetings with my advisor. And, you know, he may suggest some things that I want to try and we just get up to date. But um, he has had master's students in the past who have worked on very similar problems. So it's not like I completely started from you know, scratch, not knowing anything. I had a little bit of a running start. And then now, you know, my code has grown a lot. It has changed a lot. So um, now I'm more on my own. Okay. Very nice. All right. So can I like going back? So you said you did your undergrad at MSU, right? Mm-hmm. Are you originally from like East Lansing area? Oh, no, I'm actually from Alaska. I'm from Anchorage, Alaska. Ooh, I was born nice. and raised there. Um, and I moved to Michigan like three days before classes started. Because I was so from, from so far away, I didn't get to visit MSU mm-hmm. before. Um, yeah, so it was a it was a huge change. You know, I chose Michigan because it's still a northern state. And I thought like I would adjust a little bit better. But when I first got here, it was so hot and humid. I <laughs> For some reason, I didn't know that. Um, so that was kind of a surprise. But the winters are definitely cold. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. What were your thoughts on Alaska? I, and I asked this primarily because, like, my mom grew up there. <laughs> and so I know things really? from her perspective. <laughs> oh, where did she grow up? She she lived in both the Juneau and Anchorage. I don't remember which oh. one she was in primarily, but she lived in both of those places. Oh, okay. Um, I really like Anchorage. Uh, one, the weather's very different from uh, Michigan. In general, it's really stable. Like mm-hmm. there aren't huge fluctuations day to day. Here, you know, you can have a thunderstorm and hail, and then two minutes later, it can be bright and sunny as if nothing mm-hmm. happened. But that doesn't happen in Alaska. Um, but you know, an unfortunate thing about Alaska is like it doesn't have a huge population. It doesn't have um, a a big physics program that I was interested in. So I ended up having to leave Alaska, but hopefully that'll change in the future. Yeah. So what, what stood out about MSU? Like how did you end up at MSU and not somewhere else? Um, Well, let me see. It was a while ago, but I, I think I applied to a bunch of schools in the Midwest for some reason that area was calling to me. I don't know. Um, but I I ended up getting a a partial scholarship to MSU. So that definitely helped. Um, I didn't really know about the NSCL at MSU before I came, but when I got here and I learned about it, I was 
I'm really glad that I chose MSU because there was a lab that was right next door that I could work at. Okay, very cool. Did you already know that you wanted to do physics? Yeah, so I had a really great physics teacher back in high school. And from then, I kind of decided, like, I would like to study physics. Um, So I chose physics as my major in undergrad. Um, But I ended up also studying math in undergrad. And I, like, sort of got into it accidentally. But then I ended up just sticking with it. And I really, really enjoyed that as well. And it has ended up helping me a lot in graduate-level physics. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Were you... So you mentioned it a little bit, but did you do research as an undergrad too here? Yeah, I did. Um, so I did my undergrad research with Scott Pratt and I studied heavy ion collisions and really I was working on a simulation of heavy ion collisions. So, you know, the point of a heavy ion collision is to study what's called a quark gluon plasma. We think that the quark gluon plasma is what the universe consisted of right before you know, um, it was able, light was able to be uh, emitted throughout the universe. But it's really hard to actually study properties of the quark gluon plasma directly. So what we do is try and create quark gluon plasma droplets in an experiment. And then after, you know, the collision happens, we have some final state particles and their momenta and um, their species and et cetera. So then we try and match that to a simulation. So we know the initial state, we know the final state. And if we can get a simulation that matches an initial state to a final state, we can assume that we know somewhat about what's going going on in between. So I was working like in the middle region, trying to, you know, moving from a hydrodynamic code, which is, you know, the quark gluon plasma area. And then after it cools down a little bit, the particles start to condense again. And then, so I was working on that boundary. Oh, okay. Very cool. I hope that made sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That's super cool. Um, When you were an undergrad, were you involved with like other activities or groups outside of like classes and research or like clubs or extracurriculars? Um, I didn't, I wasn't really involved in clubs. Um, I was like pretty busy with school, but I did tutoring. So I worked, I don't know, 10 hours a week ish. And I ended up meeting friends there. You know, Um, I I worked as a math tutor at the math learning center and I did a little bit of physics tutoring towards the end as well. Very nice. Was there a particular reason that led that to you or is it like, oh, this is a job and this was interesting? Yeah, this is a job. And um, before then, all my jobs were more laborious, I guess. Like I was a hotel maid. <laughs> I was, um, you know, a, a painter, like a construction painter. I worked at a restaurant. So all of those jobs, like it was physically taxing. Mm-hmm. So I switched over to you know, tutoring and it was kind of a relief, you know, not having to you know, use your energy that uh, strongly. So. I really enjoyed tutoring. <laughs> yeah, super cool, super cool. So then when you were looking at grad school, since you already kind of like found your person, were you preset on like, I want to do grad school here or did you consider like other places as well? Oh yeah, I considered other places. I was 
you know, hoping to kind of move to somewhere warmer um, because I wanted to try and see what it was like. So I was considering some schools in North Carolina. Um, I also was considering UC Boulder, but I ended up staying here because one, I already knew Morton. I knew that I would get along with him. I knew that I would be able to work on what I wanted to work on instead of having someone tell me what to do as much. So I really liked that. Um, And, you know, there were some other reasons that I wanted to stay. Uh, Like I already knew the environment at the NSCL. Mm -hmm. I I got a a fellowship for the NSCL. So that kind of made the, you know, financial aspect a little bit more uh, predictable here. So, Yeah. yeah. So that was a big thing, but Probably the biggest reason is, yeah, knowing my research advisor beforehand and already having a relationship with him. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I was going to ask, too, if like you felt like you, I don't know if advantage is really the right word, but like the transition from undergrad to graduate being a little more smooth because, one, you're already familiar with the area and how the school operates and all that things. Yeah, definitely. I would, you know. In a way, it yeah, it is an advantage, but like at the same time, a lot of people don't recommend that you stay at the same school. Um, a lot of times it kind of shows that you're able to adapt to new situations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, for me, it was the best decision to stay here. Oh, yeah, very nice. Uh, um, like, what do you, do you enjoy the Lansing area or you're just like, yeah, that's where I do school. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's where I do school. So I I kind of live on the east side, so like more east than East Lansing. Mm-hmm. And over here, it's a little bit more wooded. There's a lot of places to hike, so I do enjoy this side of town. Um, but in general, like Lansing is a pretty decent place. Um, east Lansing is beautiful, and where I live in Haslett is a really nice, quiet place to relax. So I really enjoy that. Very nice. Do you go like hiking a lot or like go into the lake or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I love going to Lake Michigan if I can. Mm. Um, So we'll drive like two hours West and go to the beach. It's beautiful. Um, But yeah, I I really like hiking in general, um, being outside. um, If the mosquitoes weren't so bad, of course. Yes. The, there, there are a lot of mosquitoes here. (laughs) I know, especially where I live it's a kind of a marshy area. So there's mm. so many mosquitoes like right outside our door and they always find a way in. <laughs> yeah. And then, okay. So then I also know that you knit, right. And cause, or at least like a little bit, cause <laughs> I know that's how we met. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I knit a little bit. I'm not as good at knitting though as crocheting. So I do crocheting nope. as more of like a relaxing hobby. Um, it's, it's one that I've kind of done for longer, I guess. So I, I started as a kid cause my mom taught me how to crochet. So I, um, it's a little bit more intuitive to me, but I love the way that knitting looks. So I wish that I was better at knitting, but, um, I don't know. Crocheting is just a little bit more easy yeah. to me. I'm, I'm not even good enough to really know the difference besides that I know crochet has the hook. <laughs> um, but like, <laughs> if I just look at something, I'm like, yes, there was yarn. <laughs> There's yarn. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love yarn. I love, um, 
you know, the thinking about making clothing, I guess, like trying to, you know, I like the concept of sewing too. When I was in high school, I sewed a lot and um, I wish I sewed as much now, but I don't. But in general, just trying to get flat things to fit over curved surfaces is a very interesting um, visual problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that. Cool. So you mentioned, I think before we were recording that you're still taking a little bit like some classes, but are you able to have time to do things outside of like classes and research to, to have like a little enjoyment? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do this if I didn't have some free time (laughs) and um, in general, you know, I don't feel like I'm working an insane number of hours per se. I would say like the time that I do spend working, I work really hard and I try to focus a lot. But in terms of time, I feel like I have a lot of free time compared to when I was in undergrad where I had tons of homework back to back. Now, you know, I'm taking like one and a half classes. So <laughs> I, uh, the what do you have half the class? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this this class is literally just half the semester. So oh, okay. Yeah. So I'll have homework for two classes for half the semester and then just one. But really very, it's not it's not that bad. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, and then Okay, so do you have I'm going to ask this question and I apologize ahead of time because mm-hmm. like I tired of people asking me this question, but I will pose it on to you <laughs> of like, okay, so like, what do you kind of want to do after this? Whenever this, you know, yeah. <laughs> never ending that's, that's grad school. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, ideally I would like to keep studying, you know, computational methods and physics. You know, I'd like to keep thinking about machine learning and different architectures. Um, if I could have a physics application for that, that would be ideal. But, you know, I'm trying to keep my, you know, uh, options open, I guess. I'm not trying to put myself into a box quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing the CMC, like, dual degree? Yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. Okay. And physics is my primary department. Do you you still, like, connect more with the physics? Or are you kind of like, oh, I could pursue more into, like, computational type work? If that makes sense. Well, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Like, I do like the computational work day to day. I really enjoy, you know, sitting down coding and for the most part working by myself. Um, but I think as a person, you know, as a kid, I've always just been interested in physical problems, I guess. So I think that whether or not I work in physics in the future I will be always thinking about physics anyway. So it would just be great if I could work in physics as well. Okay. When did you first learn to program? Um, About halfway through undergrad. I really had no idea what programming was at all. (laughs) And, but in one of your, in one of my physics classes, I ended up having to learn how to program at least a little bit. And it was kind of a huge revelation because all of a sudden I was able to solve problems I was never able to solve by hand. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then in my first research project, I had to learn C++ kind of 
through experience. So I have some, you know, holes in my knowledge of C++, but I, you know, have become decently fluent at it by now. Okay. So like to me as someone who I am a terrible programmer, um, it kind of seems like there's kind of the fundamentals of coding like, oh, yes, I am aware of like these type of statements and, you know, whatever. But each language, you know, has different syntax and stuff. But is it like, mm-hmm. oh, if I learned one language, is it fairly easy to pick up another one for you? Or is it sometimes oh, yeah, difficult? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's, you know, mm-hmm. I, it's not like I know a ton of languages. I would just say I know a couple of languages very well. Um but in general, like if I see Fortran code and I've, I've never programmed in Fortran, I can generally read it and understand what's going on because um, everything is sort of similar and it's kind of designed to be intuitive for humans to understand. So, yeah, as long as you get the basic concepts of what you're allowed to do and what you're not, then it pretty much carries over to a lot of different languages. You know, there's some subtleties here and there, but overall it's it's easy to translate. So like how many of the challenges that you have are related to like, Oh, like these are just like fundamentally hard problems versus I, you know, I left a semicolon somewhere or like, I just like made some like actual like coding error thing that <laughs> some smaller thing uh, that you know, gets in the I way. I think the smaller coding errors, I've learned to kind of find those quickly you know, especially if you're working with C++ that has a compiler, then it kind of will tell you, hey, you have a missing semicolon here, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the harder bugs to find uh, really messes up your physics. Mm-hmm. So in my undergrad research, you know, Scott Pratt always made a joke, like once your code compiles, you get to celebrate. Once your code runs, you get to celebrate. And then once your code runs correctly, you get to celebrate. <laughs> so it's like you know, small victories up to the, you know, the grand finale. Yeah. 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 Cause I always kind of like wonder too, like, it's one thing like, Oh, you get to spit something, spit something out, but then like, Oh, is that actually correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, how do you, how do you even compare like, Oh yes, this is fundamental physics that I just produced or like, this is not relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's like a huge problem in physics research in general. A lot of times we don't know exactly what the answer is. So we have to be able to check ourselves, Um, you know, in undergraduate physics and graduate physics, like one common thing is to check the limits. Does the limits Mm -hmm. make sense? Um, And, you know, other things that you have intuition for, like, for example, like if I have a picture of my wave function and it's supposed to be... uh, a wave function for two particles and I don't see two peaks, I will be a little bit confused mm-hmm. and I'll start to kind of go back, see if I'm missing anything. Okay. Okay. Interesting stuff. So kind of wrapping things up a little bit. Um, do you have like any advice or tips of wisdom that you would give either undergraduates thinking about going to grad school or like first year grad students, like adapting to the grad school life? Um, well, I would definitely suggest having hobbies. Like that's a, it's nice to have a break from physics. You can definitely, um, 
kind of dig yourself into a hole or a bubble where the only thing you think about is physics. And that can be kind of isolating sometimes. And it may cause you to lose your passion. So having enough breaks from it helps. Um, But I would also think about the day-to-day life, like whether or not you'd want to sit in a desk all day. A lot of people would just hate just sitting in a chair. They want to work with their hands and be working with something physical. So I would definitely consider what is the day-to-day life that you would be you know, participating in when you research this or that. So like for me, I, I personally, you know, I like experiments. I like the idea of them. I uh, enjoyed my lab classes in an un- my undergrad, but day to day, I don't like looking at manuals. I don't want to mm-hmm. worry about like venting a vacuum chamber at the wrong time and messing everything up. That's like too much stress for me. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just create my little uh, experiments in my computer in this like safe little bubble. Yeah. Very nice. One final thing. So now I noticed that I get a lot more emails from you. Are you a PGO person? <laughs> yeah. So I'm the grad or one of the grad colloquium reps. Okay. So I just try to advertise to the grad students to attend colloquium. We also are trying to have these lunch meet the speaker sessions, but you know, the past couple of weeks that has had a rocky start. So I've had to send emails like, Hey, sorry, this lunch was canceled, but yeah, hopefully I don't spend too much time like in your inboxes, just retracting (laughs) statements that I've made in the past. Yeah. So um, will colloquium be on zoom for the remainder of like the semester or indefinite time, or are there plans for like some of them being in person? So I believe that there's at least one of them in person this semester. I don't remember exactly when it is, but most of them are on Zoom so far. I don't remember uh, what we have scheduled for the spring semester. Okay. Okay. You know. Oh, they're they're planned out like that far in advance. Yeah, more or less. Like we still have some open spots, so we have time to fill those for the spring semester, and you know, and later in the fall, I think we might have a couple openings still but yeah in general it's it's planned a a year in advance about okay are you actually like involved in like scheduling them or are you just more like oh promoting the speaks speakers um well i don't i don't like communicate with the speakers directly but i do kind of relay what the graduate students would like to see Mm. um, as a colloquium talk to the colloquium committee and then they'll send out the invites depending on which department each of those speakers are from okay very cool very cool what led you to want to take on this position um well i think i was nominated and i was like yeah, I wouldn't mind yeah, Why not <laughs> going to all the colloquiums. Yeah, because, you know, these colloquiums are pretty nice because uh, the, the range of topics is very wide. So you get to learn a lot about different concepts. Like yesterday we had a colloquium and it was about AI and the speaker was specifically um, an engineer, I think, an engineer from Samsung. 
So he was talking about AI in the context of robotics and automated driving, but there were so many parallels to my project that I could immediately see how it would connect. So, so even though, you know, it is still AI, which is related to my um, research project, but even though there's like a completely different application for it, it still has a very similar uh, problem structure to what I'm working on. So these colloquiums are really great to be exposed to new ideas. Oh, awesome. Very nice. Well, thank you for coming on and doing this. It was fun talking with you. Yeah, it was nice to see you again. All right.